Hello, Actastic listeners, and welcome back to the Accelerate podcast, the rendezvous for thought-provoking conversations that shape the future of agriculture. I'm your host, Sujit Janardhanan, and I am thrilled to have you with us once again. In our previous episodes, we navigated the vast landscapes of sustainability, dissecting how technology champions the cause of sustainable farming practices, and explored the pivotal world of certifications. Today, our lens zoom in on a groundbreaking paradigm that's reshaping the very foundations of farming, regenerative agriculture. Regenerative agriculture or region ag isn't just a buzzword. It's a movement echoing across the globe. It's the answer to the pressing question of how we can cultivate while healing, how we can harvest while nurturing. This approach is no longer on the fringes. It's at the heart of discussions in prestigious forums in the industry and for good reason. It is an approach that promises to sequester a staggering 100 to 300 gigatons of carbon dioxide by 2050, offering us a tangible weapon against climate change. It's an approach that not only protects the earth, but also enhances yields by a remarkable 30 to 50%. But how does it work? Regenerative agriculture takes a holistic view recognizing that nature's symphony thrives on interconnectedness. It's an orchestra of methods, restoring soil health, boosting biodiversity, and conserving water resources. And guess what? Modern ag tech is harmonizing perfectly with these time-tested techniques. Joining us today is Dr. Dominic Clauser, a true architect of sustainable farming systems and the director of regenerative agriculture at SAAI Platform. Dominic's journey has been marked by his commitment to designing and delivering innovations that embody the essence of regenerative agriculture. From strategy development to on-the-ground implementation, he's been instrumental in crafting programs that unite farmers and value chains toward a common goal of sustainability. With his insights, Dominic will guide us through the essence of regenerative agriculture, its metrics and tools for measurement, economic viability, scalability challenges, and the vision he holds for its transformative future. Welcome, Dominic. So amazing to have you with us. Thank you, Suchit, and great to be here. Likewise, let's dive straight into this enriching dialogue then, Dominic. Um, Now, regenerative agriculture has emerged as a potent force, but for those unfamiliar, could you introduce us to its core principles and objectives? And in your experience, do you see potential in adapting regenerative practices to local social and cultural contexts? I think I start with the the latter part of your question first, um, because I think this is what is really important about agriculture is the context it operates in. There's no one farm that is similar to another one. And I think that's what we have to have to be respectful of and that what we have to bear in mind. And um, I think regenerative agriculture really offers a solution to that because what's the main difference between regenerative agriculture and maybe other concepts for sustainability is that regenerative agriculture looks at what we call the outcomes of farming. So what farming achieves in terms of performance or an improved um, yeah, improved performance in sustainability dimensions such as biodiversity, water, soil and climate. Whereas other concepts focus on practices and principles such as you must not use synthetic fertilizer or you're not allowed to do that and that, or you must do conservation agriculture. 
independently of the context that farming operates in. So I think that's a big difference. Region Ag looks at outcomes, um, looks at also the prioritization of outcomes, or at least we do that, prioritizing outcomes depending on the farming systems you operate in. So if you have a, a water deficient or, you know, a farming system where water, you, water availability is an issue, you may want to first and foremost improve water use efficiency or reduce the water, the amount of water you need for agriculture. Whereas in another part of the world, maybe biodiversity is your top issue. So we, we regenerative agriculture offers flexibility to adapt to that context. And I think really the paradigm to summarize it in one sentence is region ag is, is, is reasonably indifferent about the means, but explicit about the ends. So we want to, you know, we want to make sure that agriculture reduces its impact or even has a positive impact on nature. But how we get there really depends on the context and what is most applicable in a given, you know, in a given situation of a farm, be it economical, be it social, be it, um, you know, agroecological. So that's, I think that's the top priority there. Well, it is. And I, I, I love the point that you made around one is the fact that the uh, the context is super critical and structuring uh, the objectives, the outcomes is, is super critical because that's pretty much what region ag really focuses on. Also, the fact that it's uh, implicit in, in its means, but explicit in its uh, end. And I think that's that's beautiful takeaway as far as that was concerned, Dominic. Now, the environmental benefits are pretty evident. Uh, how do we quantify the impact of regenerative agriculture uh, otherwise? Are there technological solutions that allow us to gauge the influence of this practice on, on elements like soil health, water conservation, and biodiversity, especially at scale. Uh, I know that there could be several things that could be done if you're running things like pilot programs, et cetera, but how do we do something like this at scale? Yeah, this is, you, you're highlighting a major challenge in the approach, and I think we, we're trying to resolve that as are other organizations. Uh, Basically, what we look for is we look for improved performance or positive impact in four areas. This is water, soil, biodiversity and climate. Now, how do you measure biodiversity or how do you measure, you know, soil health? It's not easy and there's no single one indicator that does that. So how we came up with that is we for these four areas, we identified 10 proxies um, that we call outcomes. Um, that we consider meaningful and measurable. So these are really indicators that can be measured or at least in theory can be measured and are a meaningful indicator for, you know, water use. For instance, it's, you know, water abstraction that you can measure. It's volumes of water that you take out of surface water or of groundwater uh, reservoirs. Um, uh, it's sometimes it's input use efficiency. So this, these are aspects that can be measured. Um, now, coming back to the notion of the context. I think there's no single one way of measuring that across the world. It again depends on context. And I use that with biodiversity. Sometimes you want, you know, in my part of the world, there's a lot of birds that are close to extinction. So they are indicator species for biodiversity. In other parts of the world, you might want to look at soil biodiversity. So there's different measures. Um, which doesn't make it easy, I suspect, but you know, what is easy about agriculture? Um, Coming back then, lastly, to, to your, you know, to technologies and solutions we can use for that. I think there is a big um, opportunity there. And I think this is why I'm so excited about the topic at the moment is 
I think it's a completely new wave of technology that came in in agriculture with remote sensing, with um, you know artificial intelligence, new ways of gathering and modeling and analyzing data. Um, and, and we see that, and, and this is what we now moving forward, we want to test such solutions in projects with our members. Um, the site platform is a member organization um, to show best practice in different farming systems, in different crops, even in livestock um, to, to see what works, what are good indicators and what are good ways to measure these indicators or what are good metrics for the indicators or proxies for the indicators and what are good measuring solutions. Um, and I think we will come up with a first suggestion for some of them later in the year. So we, we really want to advance that. Which is awesome. A few of the things that kind of pop up in my head as as you were uh, you were you were narrating your insights was point number one is um, in this case if we have to scale uh, programs to create impact uh, using region ag and the technology that is probably going to play a role will have to also be really adaptive because context is going to be really important and it is going to vary. There is going to be a lot of diversity in terms of the context in which some of these programs will have to be designed to create devil and, and create and, and deploy impact. The second piece that you also called out is, um, and that kind of probably threw up an idea is there has to be a lot more collaboration amongst all the ecosystem players, because there's so much that we all need to agree on what's the best way to do something, both in terms of how do we measure and then how do we manage and then how do we uh, measure progress and impact is going to be critical that we agree on commonly. Otherwise, I think it will be a lot of distributed efforts uh, that may not yield the desired impact at planet scale. So those are some of the things that kind of uh, stuck in my head as as, as I heard you, uh, Dominic. Now, dwelling into the economics, right, and this is super critical because any new uh, initiative or way of doing things, etc., especially in, a, in an industry like agriculture where um, one challenge is really the uh, is the the end grower that we have to work with and a large percentage of them are actually smallholder farmers uh, and hence the economics is super critical aside from its sustainability quotient does regenerative agriculture hold a promising financial outlook for farmers and agribusinesses uh, are the initial investments of potential long-term savings uh, that you think we can actually highlight when we get started on an initiative like this yeah, another another challenging area. I think, um, for, firstly, I, I, what I have to say is always to me, sustainability isn't purely environmental. I think economic and social viability or sustainability are for me a core of the sustainability concept. So, we, we should, we, yeah, we must include that in our in our um, you know projections in our planning and so forth. Um, especially as you said, in the context of smallholder farmers who live, uh, you know, very close to the. You know, some some of them are in poverty, and some of them are just at poverty thresholds. And I think that's where you know sometimes the, ch the concept gets challenged. You mentioned some numbers in your introduction, and I don't want to challenge them individually. But you know, 30 to 50 percent yield increase by just going back to nature sounds exciting. Sounds too good to be true. And what my father always told me: if it sounds too good too good to be true, it might be too good to be true. And I think we have to be careful there and do our homework and see what is possible. Um, what does that mean now in, you know, in terms of how we roll it out or how we can roll it out? I think we have to, honest, to be honest about upfront costs, changing practices, changing, you know, changing the way you farm, 
that costs you money. And oftentimes it also drags your yield in the first couple of seasons. And somebody's got to pay for that. And I think there's some papers and some expert experts out there that suggest, uh, you know, a, a transition to regen ag pays for itself. You just, you know, you reduce production cost or you improve productivity. I personally feel that in most cases, this will not be the case. You will have eventually a return on investment, um, but there is sort of the value of, I don't know, it's not called the value of death, but there is a value of, you know, where, where basically your costs, ex or, or you, you have a reduced um, profitability. And I think, I, we, we, and these costs cannot just be borne by the farmers, that would be wrong. It, that cost has to be distributed across the value chain. And I think that's a big part of the homework that I have to do also with the member organizations that we make sure that consumer pay part of that cost processes pay part of that cost and and maybe farmers eventually but just that it's fairly spread fairly distributed and and yeah we have to um, understand what that cost is again it depends very much on the context it might be for some farming it might be a, a small step for other farming systems might be quite a substantial step um, and how we cover that and and what we're looking at is yeah, we, we're looking at understanding diverse incentive systems, how we can, you know, how we can make that transition happen. Um, some of our members already offer premiums on regeneratively pro produced products. I like one, right. the CEO of one member recently announced that he's ready to have a, a reduced, a decreased margin for the next 10 years as a result of shifting to regenerative agriculture. So th th this is quite exciting. There are good commitments around that. And I think I, I would like to see more of that. Um, other approaches could be um, that we look at the subsidies and, you know, particularly in Europe with the Green New Deal, you know, revising the subsidy schemes maybe towards more outcomes, uh, outcome-based systems is something that, that um, should be looked at and we're promoting. Um, Another approach, it doesn't work for all crops, is basically shifting them out of commodities um, but and into premium markets or into direct sales or direct retail. Um, there's also some approaches that work. It's, it's mostly working for crops that I consider emotional, you know, coffee, cocoa, almonds, and as, crops like that, where you as a consumer or I as a consumer feel good by eating a, a regeneratively produced product of these, of these categories. So... Yeah, I think the summary is um, the economic viability. I think it really depends on all elements of the value chain playing in. And, and sure. I think the viability by just saying it pays for itself. Yeah, in some cases, but most cases, I think we will be disappointed about how this would plan out. So it needs a commitment of all the value chain players. So, so thank you for keeping us real there, um, uh, Dominic. And I think it is even super critical to understand um, Whenever driving change, it does have its uh, initial costs, uh, FR, a lot of the change management that is involved. And um, hopefully if we are getting this right on two fronts, one is having the interests of the growers uh, at the heart of how we drive this change. And second is uh, being aware of the fact that the long-term reason why we really would want to go this route is really ensuring that we have a planet that we can live on and, and sustain uh, on. And I think that is going to be critical. I think those those put together could be the right reasons uh, and not just the economics, uh, as you called out, on why we would probably uh, drive this a lot more aggressively than what we are doing today. Now, and that brings me to the next question, Dominic, is scaling 
the regenerative agriculture is the need of the hour, as in, and, and that is critical. If you really want to see the impact that it truly can deliver, uh, irrespective of what the numbers say. Uh, what challenges might large-scale agribusinesses encounter during this transition? And how can technology become a game-changer in overcoming these hurdles? You gave an example of how one of your member organizations, CEO, actually was, was okay uh, openly suggesting incentives uh, for farmers who, who probably uh, produce using region ag and, and, and take away lesser margins when procuring from them. And I think that's, that's one great way. And you uh, refer to a couple of other models too. Um, but how do we really scale this? And this is really the challenge that we need to uh, really work through. Yeah, no, I think I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the technology in, in the second part of my answer. I think in terms of scaling, maybe let me you know, look back on where, you know, what the what the components were of where scaling worked um, or the, you know, the cases where I know that scaling sort of um, ended up in a, you know, in a successful transition or in a scaled up transition to region ag. I think the, the one aspect that mustn't be underestimated is that farmers learn from seeing and doing. And um, I think the, oftentimes you have a, a good support on the ground. Is it agronomists? Is it extension agents? I think if, if you can showcase or demonstration farms, if you can showcase what good looks like, I think farmers are more more likely to replicate. So so that's quite important. And And, and with that, sometimes it's also important not to have just your farm as a you know as a, as a procurement or, or as an organization that procures from farm or so so but have lead farmers um from the community you you um source material from because there's also an element of co-creation and i think that that comes back to then the contextualization and and that local flexibility is if you if you do what farmers like it's more likely or if farmers can do what they like it's more likely to be adopted um and, and I think that's that's something that that oftentimes organizations underestimate. They say, OK, we go for, you know, large scale cons conservation ag. But you really have to make sure then that, you know, farmers have the knowledge and have the means to do conservation agriculture, whether it's the, yeah, the equipment training and so forth. Um, then I think, yeah, maybe I stop there. I think that's quite important. The second important fact, and this is why I'm so excited to be at the side platform now and working with the members from the food and beverage industry is, I think it needs a market pull. Farmers tend to not do it if they don't see a benefit from going there. And that was a struggle, especially again in smallholder markets that I oftentimes there was a market pull for a season. And then, you know, sometimes in commodities, prices shifted. Um, commodity prices dropped, import prices dropped. So um, processes went for imported goods. And so, so a continuous, a sustainable market pull is, is important. And uh, this is what I'm trying to build amongst many other things um, uh, and cannot be underestimated. So a commitment, and we see these commitments more and more coming in, as, 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 I, as I mentioned, that margin statement of a, of a, of a CEO of a, of a rather big consumer good company said. Um, then on the role of innovation, yeah, I think innovation makes life easier. Um, and there's a, there's a one, one area of innovation that really helps the scaling is despite of what I just said about, you know, face-to-face -face interaction between farmers and in, uh, extension agents, if you have, um, communication platforms where you can have sort of like daily updates or Q and A's between farmers so that you don't always have to travel to each farm, 
I think that that helps is complementary or is additional to face-to-face -face interactions. It cannot completely substitute it, but it can make it much more efficient. Um, secondly, data is very important. And quite frankly, I underestimated that when I joined um, the role at, as a region act director at the site platform, how important data is for consumer good companies. Because of course they want to make sure that it is really regenerative. So they want to have, you know, that data traveling the value chain. And, and I think there again, you know, remote sensing solutions um, are, are very good and other ways of capturing data to, to measure progress of farming towards regenerative agriculture. Um, so that's, that's an obvious area where, 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 you know, innovation comes in. I think the other part of innovation that tends to get um, slightly underestimated is what I call um, sort of enabling innovation in terms of financing solutions and, and, and risk-taking solutions. So if you would have, um, and I think there's a couple of banks now coming in, but, you know, more credits with longer lifetimes or with, with, with reduced interest rates or de-risk credit, or you use regenerative agriculture as collateral against credits or even insurance premiums. I think that would help. So that whole financing part, enabling part is some, some is an area where maybe not as much innovation has gone in as in other areas, but where, where I see huge potential. I agree. No, thank you for those insights, Dominic. Um, uh, I think the, the key part that you spoke about right in the beginning was the show and tell part is going to be super critical for farmers to see what good really is so that they can then adopt uh, or adapt what they're doing to be able to really uh, start practicing this. Uh, the other component around the technology and innovation piece, and I think data is going to be at the core, both digitizing as well as using remote sensing technologies, et cetera, to be able to complement all the efforts that are happening on ground on field so that you know what's going on on ground you're able to track you're able to measure and then and make changes uh, to drive the right outcomes um, also being able to use the data at the core to be able to support uh, the financial inclusion models right and as well as financial incentive models i think that is going to be critical if i think one of the things that i've always heard from the financial services industry when trying to really engage and interact with the agriculture space is the the simple uh, lack or, or the the existence of information asymmetry um, they would have, would have loved to have so much more information just like that they have of a lot of the retail consumers like you and me uh, where they really understand whom they are going to build a product for or or service a product for etc uh, they don't have that as much as they would ideally uh, want for the agriculture space. Um, and I think data and digitization can solve a lot of those, uh, those gaps, uh, but we still have a long way to go. Like you said, there are still gaps and we need to really work collaboratively to be able to solve some of those. Um, at Cropin, we are trying to do that and uh, we've been at it for the last 13 years and it still seems like it's, it's day one <laughs> and we're just getting started. Yeah. Awesome. But so, it's, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Maybe just to add to that, I think it's a very important point. You said it's 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 not just de-risking the whole venture for farmers, but also for financial companies and insurance companies. Sure. So I think, as you said, data is going to be of vital importance um, moving forward. And yeah, I hope we can build more data and evidence for that to to serve all all players of that value chain. And that is going to be super, super critical. And, and Dominic, now drawing from your extensive experience, right? And I love some of the insights that you're bringing forth uh, in, in our conversation today. What reference frameworks would you recommend for 
cultivating and managing large scale regenerative agriculture programs and and critical is really keeping the farmer at the heart of that approach and and i think that you've highlighted multiple times in the conversation till now um i have to be honest here i don't think um i think there's a couple of frameworks out there i think what they are what they're all struggling with um is is sort of they're still at quite a high altitude i would say uh 30, feet so they they for instance say you know you have to improve your performance on biodiversity but then they oftentimes don't give a, a good indication of how you measure that or how you quantify that so i there's not a single uh, reference framework that i would recommend at this stage um I would say take hours, but it's not out there. So stay tuned. I think we will pop. Oh, you know, we're looking forward to publishing the side platform a region ag framework um, in in a couple of weeks' time. Um, um, the announcement will follow. But there, I think it 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 first and foremost, I think what we took uh, as a task is, you know, as I said, being really practical about what you can measure and how you can measure that. So we don't just we don't just yeah, go very high level and say, you know, this is an, climate is an issue, but we say then how can you measure your greenhouse gas emissions in a farm? The second aspect I like, well, you know, I, I hope it doesn't sound like blowing my own, our own trumpet here, but um, we added to the assessment something called a materiality assessment, which is basically assessing uh, the risk in a very context um, context specific manner. So that's the first thing that, that a farmer would do or a farmer and the procurement officer would do is um answer maybe 20 yes or no questions or 20 questions that will then highlight where the major risk areas are at the farm and i think that's also how you can engage with farmers because if they if there's a shared understanding of where there is a production risk or where there is a sustainability risk that makes them more likely to act so it's it, it's i think the combination of putting that materiality first and that context specific risk assessment first and then having clear guidance on on what outcomes to look for and how to measure them and being reasonably flexible at, about them i think makes it promising in my view to to be adopted at scale um That's right. sorry sorry dominic i cut you off please go ahead no i i, I you know please cut do cut me off sometimes because i can i can get quite uh, you know <laughs> i can stop, stop, stop talking and pontificating i think there there is a, another thing is is about why um i think why we we thought that we it needs another you know practice oriented framework and this is it's a dark secret of mine is that I, before joining the site platform i wasn't a particular fan of regenerative agriculture um one of the reasons was you know these I felt exaggerated promises that we derive from it in terms of, you know, it's solving our, all our climate problems or it's solving farm pro productivity and pro profitability problems, which I, I don't think it will be the, you know, the silver bullet to all of that. And secondly, it wasn't the, the lack of definition and the lack of translation into something that is actionable on the ground actually led to what I would call in European lingo an ideological disconnect. So it was on one hand, many people thought it was conventional agriculture and on one hand many people thought it was organic agriculture so there were like two truths or you know it was it was almost religious and i think we by grounding it um we have an opportunity to to remove that ideological idea ideology from it and yeah creating creating a picture of what the regen farm looks like and why we think such a farm is regenerative it is and and thank you for um, again uh, while while you call you you called out this a couple of times dominic in the conversation today 
the promise of what could be. It could be uh, from a climate impact perspective, improvement in yield, etc., which could be exaggerated numbers that are probably thrown out. Uh, but it also kind of threw up an idea in my head that we probably need to do a better job of marketing the impact of region ag uh, to consumers and everyone down the value chain right up to the grower. And I think it's going to be critical because otherwise a lot of these efforts may just seem like uphill uh, battles uh, that we may never end up winning. And I think that's going to be critical. I also uh, uh, made a note of the point that they may not be these reference frameworks that could be the go-to thing that we uh, probably start adopting, but we will stay tuned on what you and team are going to probably share with us uh, as probably a framework or an approach or methodology that probably the, the ecosystem could uh, look at and, and adapt. Uh, we will be keen to look for that. But that brings me to the part, right? As in, we all love success stories. Uh, and could you share a few examples of substantial agriculture operations where you've seen that uh, regenerative practices have been embraced along with learnings from those journeys, uh, if you have any to share with the audience? I can, and sorry for the bad lighting in my room. I was the first sunny day since quite some time, so I was underestimating that. I, I hope I'm not preaching from the dark too much. Um, no, but but on, 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 on success stories, um, yeah. I, to be honest, you, you're one step ahead of us. We are currently compiling case studies from members on successful transitions. And, and, but this is very much pro work in progress, so there's no, no single one I can highlight from that. However, I think if you look at, you know, what some of our members do and how much effort and investment they put behind it, um, it's, it's impressive and probably unprecedented. I'm, 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 I'm in the sustainability business or science since 15 years and I haven't seen that, how much oomph there is behind Regenag. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that we, we will get good, um, you know, good case studies, good examples of successful transitions um, in, in the next couple of months in. Um, from my previous work at the, you know, at the Syngenta Foundation, I, I think we had, I had the pleasure of, of looking some good examples on how this worked. Um, one was um, a large farmer cooperative in East Africa. The, all these case studies are published on the Syngenta Foundation's website, it's is, yeah. is called Adventure. They really had a, you know, a massive, massive problem with soil health, with water abstraction, um, the declining production, but they, I think in a very regenerative way, they diversified production, um, moved into a different way of farming and all the, all the indicators that we looked at look pretty impressive. So that's, that's an East African example. I think in India and in Bangladesh, we saw a lot of, you know, changes in how people grow rice um, from you know, water, um, what, what's it called, uh, complete irrigation to uh, alternate wetting and drying. Um, that was a big success, I think, in Bangladesh. Large, large parts of the land have now moved to, to that, to, to, yeah, to this way of farming. Um, and then lastly, one example is, you know, Southwest Europe. I worked with uh, olive and, and almond farmers who moved their production, you know, reduced water consumption uh, and increased biodiversity and, and increased even carbon capture in soils uh, through new ways of farming. And the interesting part of that is it's different business models behind that. So the, the work in East Africa completely pays off by stabilizing or improving productivity. Um, in, in India and Bangladesh, it's 
partly subsidies, it's partly improved um, extension and advice, so it's also public investment in it. And in mm -hmm. Southwest Europe, it's moving moving products from um, from commodities to premium, you know, to premium branded products that directly are then marketed to consumers. So, so it's different different approaches. But these are the ones that um, that come to mind at this stage. But I, I'm happy to keep you posted on on more cases. Oh, we show world, we show world. I uh, love to hear more success stories out from out there, and I, I love the diversity, both in terms of geographical spread and also the crop value chains that we really focus upon. So, um, Dominic, just kind of coming to the concluding question in our chat today, right? Looking ahead, what does the horizon of region ag look like to you? Are there emerging trends or innovations that spark your excitement and probably uh, look at everything that that we can probably achieve together as an ecosystem uh, that looks positive to you? Yeah, no, I think I, I'm always excited about about innovation. And I, I think, as I mentioned, I, I, I sometimes feel it's the golden age of agricultural innovation. It's, it's, you know, there's a completely new wave, especially in how you monitor things, in how you measure things. Um, that that um, that offers opportunities um, for for more sustainable or regenerative farming. I think precision agriculture is very important, and we see that more and more. Precision applications of fertilizers, of crop protection, um, precision detection of disease, or you know any issues, or you know we, together with remote sensing, also that you can. You don't just spray your fertilizer across the whole field. You can, you know, you can detect where nitrogen is missing from satellite or drone pictures. I think there's a, there's a lot of there coming, and it, I, I don't think it's incremental the improvement that these technologies offer. It's substantial. Um, same with data, of course. You know, the same technologies can be used to collect data and to share data. So, so I think consumers will be more aware of what you know what the footprint of a product will be. Can be more aware if they want to. Um, so, so I think that's 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 really important. Um, there's another wave of um, innovation in plant breeding. You know, the whole genome editing. Um, I don't know whether whether listeners are familiar to that, but novel ways of breeding. Um, that unfortunately, yeah, now fortunately in Europe, I think that the mood is changing, but I think there is, there is sometimes in some parts of the world, there unfortunately is that bias to, to pledge against innovation, to pledge against everything that is new is bad. Um, I think that's unfortunate because again, that will offer a lot of opportunities in how we manage disease and how we manage productivity is, you know, one part is the plant, one part is the agronomy. Um, so, so I think that's, that's going to be important in terms of innovation. Um, and and maybe lastly, you know what we just discussed before: these enabling factors, mechanisms to to incentivize transitions to regenerative agriculture. Is it finance? Is it risk management, and so forth? So again, data and then products that are tailored to farmers. Um, I'm catching breath here because that's why I see your technological opportunities. I think the biggest job we have to do moving ahead is is really to ground that concept out of boardrooms, out of scientific sure. papers, out of you know TED talks into something that is applicable to farmers. And maybe I close with that. I think that's that's the, the, we have the technologies, we have the solutions. You know, we have the croppings of this world. We have we have other other providers that that can can really help us to get there. I think it's yeah translating into something actionable is probably the biggest task ahead. That we have. I don't think so. We could have a better conclusion uh, statement for 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 this 
for this chat, in fact, Dominic, right? As in getting that out of white, the white papers or scientific papers out there and the boardroom conversations to actually something that's actionable on the ground and that can uh, help us collaborate closely uh, in a sustainable fashion with our grower uh, community is going to be super, super critical. Thank you uh, for this in insightful conversation, Dominic. And, and there we have it, dear listeners, a riveting exploration of the transformative landscape that is regenerative agriculture. Um, thank you, Dr. Dominic Clauser, for guiding us through this enlightening chat. As we wrap up this conversation, let's reflect on the key takeaways that present in our minds. First and foremost, region ag isn't just a theory, it's a proven practice. Uh, it's a symphony of techniques that heal as they cultivate, enrich as they harvest. Its principles go beyond the soil. They embrace the very essence of interconnectedness, acknowledging the profound impact of local beliefs and practices uh, where context is super critical to be kept in mind when building these kind of programs around region ag and trying to scale them. Measurement matters and technology is and could be the compass. We have learned that quantifying the impact of region practices is no longer an elusive concept. Uh, cutting edge tools and technologies allow us to measure soil health, uh, water conservation and biodiversity enhancement using proxies or directly in some cases, offering us empirical evidence of progress. Economics and ecology align in the realm of regenerative agriculture. The economic viability of this approach, uh, while there, there are still use cases and success stories that we need to build out, but they are definitely ecological benefits. Farmers and agribusinesses can unlock not only sustainability, but also financial resili resilience. And I think that's where the entire ecosystem will really have to come together, both to drive enhanced productivity and long-term savings for every single player, including bringing in incentives where every single player in the value chain play a role. Scaling up is a challenge, but technology could be the bridge. While the transition to large-scale region agriculture programs can be complex, Technology can emerge as a formidable ally, so uh, embrace and adopt it. The challenges can be overcome through data-driven insights, innovation, and, and a commitment to uh, shared goals, and which is critical uh, to be driven across the entire ecosystem. Uh, while frameworks could be the foundation for change, uh, this is not a one-size-fits-all uh, game any which way. So, I think that's where we'll have to do a lot of ground truth assessments, understand the context in which some of these programs can deliver value based on the communities and the regions in which you're planning it and the value chains that exist and how do they really interconnect with each other. And that is going to be critical. But uh, try and build frameworks that are the most applicable for the communities and the regions that you're operating in that can provide direction, clarity, and a holistic approach centered around the growers that you work with. And finally, the, the future does look promising. Emerging trends and innovations in region ag do give us every reason to be excited. It's not just a method. It's a movement that is going to empower us to nurture the earth while nurturing our sustenance. So as we wrap up this episode, let's carry these insights with us. Let's champion regenerative agriculture in our own spheres, integrating sustainable practices and fostering a brighter future for our agricultural ecosystem. Thank you all for joining on this voyage of discovery. Until next time, keep sowing the seeds of change and let's continue nurturing tomorrow's harvest. Stay actastic, stay sustainable and embrace technology to adopt and scale.